morning, church. Would you stand with me this morning? And it is a good morning, isn't it? Good is such a, in our American English language, a seemingly like juvenile word, isn't it? It's like one of the first adjectives you probably learned in school. Calling God good is maybe the first thing we learned if you were raised in the church in VBS or in Sunday school or whatever it is. But the funny thing about goodness and a lot of things that we learn that we consider now childish is that the older that you get, the more difficult it is to actually use that word correctly and to believe that it is true. To call something good in our world nowadays is extremely, extremely difficult. And that also can pertain to God. It can be difficult when we're going to be singing a song about how the whole world is in his hands, which, yes, that is also a VBS song as well. And yet I look around our world and go, sometimes it don't feel like the whole world is in his hands because I've seen our world and there's a lot going on in it that I would not say is of him. But there is a... uh, There is an intimacy that comes with our relationship with God when we can see things that are not good, when we see things in our own life, in our own world that are not good, and we still choose to call Him good, to still say that He is enough, that that every circumstance, situation we are placing in His hands. I was speaking with a very, very dear friend to me this week who is a very strong Christian who has gone through immense grief over the past three years. And we were trying to boil down what she was kind of struggling with with her faith. And she finally, to her credit, was able to admit that she believed the miracles were real, had seen, witnessed plenty of them in other people's lives. She just couldn't believe that God would do anything for her anymore. And this is this person that I had seen miracles in her life time and time and time and time again, especially in the midst of her grief. But her heart got sick, and her world got hard, and things were not so good anymore. And it was difficult for her to be willing to have hope and faith and trust in something that should be good, that should be true, that should be pure and holy and noble. The things that he had done for her no longer seemed like they were enough. But that didn't change the fact that they were, that they were good, they were holy, that he is good, that he was enough. So I don't know what's going on in your world today. I don't know if there are parts of the heart that might be sick. There might be parts of your world that might not seem so good. But I want us to look at God, to look at Him in the face, in His eyes, and still remember how good He has been. Look back and reflect on all of the things He has given us to remember how faithful He has been, who He is. Let Him speak of who he is instead of what the world and our actions and our experiences say all right let's worship together today with that in mind never fail me all my days I am held in your hands from the moment that I wake up and 
Until I lay my head, I will sing of the goodness of God. Cause all my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, yes, I will sing of the goodness of God. I will dedicate my soul, my breath to you. I love your voice. You have led me through the fire. Darkest nights, you are close like no other. I've known you as a father, I've known you as a friend, and I will save in the goodness of God. In all my life, you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God With everything, with every breath Let it belong, let it rise in Lord, cause your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. My life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me every day. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Every season, Lord, every hour when I don't deserve it, Lord, you have run to me. All my life, you have been faithful. Because all my life, you have been so, so good to you are. Every breath that I am able. I will sing of the goodness of God. Cause all my life you have been faithful, time and time again, Lord. All my life you have been so, you've been so good. Every breath that I am able, I will sing. Yeah. 
Master, it's what He after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. When my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, running after me. Oh, 
hands. My whole world is in your hands. When the unknown is where I am, my whole world is in your hands. Every facet every situation and circumstance we have now believed that you are enough God. you are there working winning in the midst of it God you alone God have the power have the authority over every single situation season and circumstance in our lives and so we will sing this to you God that you alone you are enough you are more and more and more than Yes, you are enough. So I will be content in every circumstance. you are enough. We say, Jaira, you are enough, and you alone, Jaira, you are enough. So I will be content in every circumstance, Jaira, you are enough, Jaira. cannot come to pass. Every sickness that we face, every depressed moment that comes into our mind, Father, our whole world we're placing in your hands. We are saying as a people today, we are standing on your, your word. You are a rock. You are a refuge. You are a strong tower. You are Yahweh Yirah, the, the God that provides. You are Jehovah Nisi, the God that is the banner, a standard of war. You are Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals. That's not what you did. That's who you are. We speak it into this, into our bodies. We speak it over this circumstance. We speak it into our realities today because you are a God that is yes and amen. You are a God that is I am, I am, who I am, I am, that is I am, I am. I will always be, I always was, and I always will be here. Holy God, come and move. 
Today, may that worship be our prayer. As we prayed through that song today, you heard us pray, we surrender. You heard us pray, we place our lives in your hands. That doesn't mean some. As scary as it is, Daddy, it means all. So Holy Spirit, come and move today. Do what only you can do and solidify, add your power, seal your amen to that prayer. So that no weapon that the enemy forms against us has any chance to prosper. Because there is not one crack, not one foothold, not one lie, not one deception that has a place to find its footing. We love you and we praise you. We thank you that you are in this room. We thank you that we are not a people who worship from afar, but we are a, per a people who has a God that comes up close. Holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The whole earth is filled with your glory. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And together in faith, in belief, in faith, we say, so be it. Amen and amen. Come on, let's give God one more shout of praise for who he is. He's worthy, Lord God, you're worthy. Thank you for being here with us today. We love you so much. Woo! Hey, good morning, Connect Church. How you doing today? So good. Oh. There's like three people over here doing good. I don't know about this whole section. Are you all right? All right, it's good to see you. So good to be here today. It's so Thank you so much for coming this morning, for getting up, for getting out of bed. Truly, it is, it's, it's such a gift. There's something, I don't know about you. Um, does anybody ever have weeks like you just man I got a week I had a week anybody else have like I had a week like and, and anyone else have weeks that seem to be weeks upon weeks like you, you get to the end of the week you're like oh next week can't be like then you have another week we talked a little bit about that last week about kind of going through the floods but you know for me and this wasn't how I was raised because how I was raised was to come and be under a pew but be quiet and afraid of God but for me, when I get into the house of God with the people of God, something begins to stir. Something that I can't stir always on my own because the Bible says we're to touch anything in agreement. The Bible says when two or more gather in his name that Jesus becomes present. And I think so often what Jake was saying before is so true. We, we've limited church and kind of religious experience to a, 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 a Sunday TED talk. Like, like, let me just get my good TED Talk so I'm encouraged for the next couple days so I can get through the week because I know I'm going to have another week. We miss the majesty of it. He's here. Like, he's here. The one who spoke you into creation, who knitted you together in your mama's womb, the one who breathed and the stars came into being, like, like he's here, like, here. Not here, esoterically, 
here. I wonder how we would respond if the president walked in. King Charles walked in. Some great professional athlete walked through those doors. I wonder, would you catch your breath for a moment? Because I know the answer is yes, because we've had that. That should be us every time we gather together in this worship. He's here. He's here. Because it changes something in us. Thank you for helping me have the this morning. Thank you for being a part of my this morning. Because it matters to me. Numbers in church don't matter to me. The gathering together of saints matters to me. Because there's a, he's here. Thank you for being here. I want to say thank you to everybody who's online as well. We love you. Thank you for joining in with us today. We know you are, there's people all over on vacation down the shore. Wherever you are, whether you are healthy or are going through it, we, we want you to know we love you. We're thankful for you joining in. Come on, church. Can you give them a hand just for a Look, it's, if you're on vacation and, you are, and, you're, and you're checking in, that's something. Thank you so much for being a part. If you're a guest here this morning, thank you for coming to Connect. It's really great to have you. Really our joy to have you here. We, uh, if you'd love to find out a little bit more about us, there's a, a, a link up on the screen. There's links all over the place. There are QR codes. You can check out, get, get to know a little bit more about who we are and what we do. And we'd love to know a little bit more about you. Don't leave without saying hi to somebody. If you haven't been here in a while, stay for a couple minutes. Just say hi to somebody. It really matters that we don't, uh, aren't running in and running out. This is where we learn how to do life together. Well, I'm really, really, truly grateful you're here. Kiddos, we love you. Church, can we give our kids a hand? We love you. You guys can follow Pastor Kevin and the sign on out. Give our kids team a hand as well. We love you guys for serving, for blessing them, for doing what you do. Hey, as you're being seated, give somebody next to you a high five, a fist pump. Tom, it's good to see him. Tom, it's great to have him in the house today. Jakey. Jakey. So before we hop into the word, I, I, I just I need to clarify something because because I'll get some texts and I know I'm going to someone's going to give me some hard time. Um, I'm wearing British shoes today, and I know someone's going to be like, "Man, it was the week of Fourth of July. He done sold out, right? Can't believe him." I got the red coat. I'm all in. I am 100% in. Right? The red coat, I'm in. Thank you for pointing that out. I didn't even realize that. I was matching the shoes. But today is the uh, British Grand Prix, which is uh, in F1. And uh, I'm just, thank you. Awesome. That's right. I got a few fans in here. Um, I'm wearing these shoes today because I'm hoping that my driver gets a little extra help. Maybe even, maybe just a little more help than Pastor John's driver. That's all, that's all I'm going for. That's all I'm saying, buddy. All right. He walked in there with a McLaren shirt. I said, your shirt is not going to overpower my shoes. That's all I'm saying. God knows. Um, no, truly, let me, before we hop in, let me really uh, take a moment to invite you. And uh, we, we mentioned it last week. I want to mention it again this week. Uh, next week, we have, a very, we have very special guests in the house. 
Um, Matthew and Liberty Harris uh, are going to be here. We're going to do a roundtable together with them. Matt and Liberty have been part of our church, and we're part of our church uh, for, for about seven or eight years uh, before they left to serve the king and the kingdom in Nepal, which is I don't even know if you could pick out where Nepal is on a map, but it's really far. Like, think about the opposite side of the world, you're close. Like, that's just where, it's, it's, it is one of the least Christianized countries in the world. It is also one of the fastest growing churches on the planet. Um, and Matthew serves as a, a, a doctor there in a mission hospital. Liberty teaches kids. They're, mom, they're a mom and a dad. They're, they're husband and wife. They, 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 they're a brother and a sister. They have siblings, right? They have parents. And they're doing this, and why, why we're bringing them here is not just so that we hear really cool stories about what God's doing in Nepal, although that's incredible, but to talk about how to make decisions to live for the king in everyday life. Because they're, they're making decisions to live for the king. It doesn't matter that it's in Nepal. It could be in Nepal or, 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 or Mount Laurel. It, it could be in Camden or Kathmandu. It's not about where. It's about who. How do you and I make decisions to live for the king in everyday life and live for the kingdom? Because those things come at a cost. But there's also reward at the end of it. So I want to not only invite you, because I know you'll be here, but invite friends, invite some family members who, who may not know anything. Matt and Liberty are two of the most genuine, authentic, amazing men and women I, I know. Truly they are. Uh, it's an honor to share this pulpit with them. So are you guys ready for the word today? I'm ready for the word. I really am. Uh, if you, if, since you brought your Bible, why don't you open with me to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. John is the, first, uh, is the fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's written by the Apostle John, uh, who's a disciple of Jesus. And what's really cool is he's there from the beginning. So he, he's not telling you what he heard. He's telling you what he experienced, what he saw with his own eyes. And I think that's important for us to grab a hold of. And and I was, I was uh, we're going through this in Forged. Forged is our men's discipleship groups that meet during the week. And we have men and women's groups that meet throughout the week that I'd encourage you that are really the foundation of this church. Um, and we're, we're going through the book of John. And as I got to this, I just said, I really felt the Lord saying, this is a word for us in this season. Us. Us as a church, us as a people. Um, really uh, about a, a word for how to move forward. As we move at, into uh, what, what really lies ahead in our world. Um, I think we're so used to a world of abundance. We're so used to a, wor a world that we can get anything at any time. Um, but I don't think that's the world we're heading into. And so how do we respond in a place at times where that had abundance and then faces lack? How do, we, how do we do that in our spiritual lives when we faced, yes, I used to be so passionate about Jesus, but now, hmm, a little cold. So if you need a title for today's message, it's what if. What if. So let me ask you a question. Have you been, ever been to a party or a wedding reception or a celebration that you thought, what if this was actually good? What if this actually was good? What, what if the DJ knew some music from this century? What if they weren't like a new kids on the block super fan, right? What, what if the drunk guy, the tone deaf drunk guy, wasn't singing Taylor Swift for the 10th time on the karaoke machine, right? What, what, what if they hadn't served us undercooked chicken nuggets for our meal? What, what if, what if, what if they had simply allowed me to organize this Oh, I know some of you. I, man, if, if I would have organized this shindig, man, it would have been off. The, it would have been amazing. All of us, can I just be honest? All of us have been there. 
at one point in time or another. What if they allowed me to organize this party? But what if our lives are that party? Maybe the deeper question is, what if our spiritual lives are actually that party? Where what we set out there and thought people would be talking about for years to come actually just simply has them rolling their eyes at us. What if what we think is throwing a party in heaven with our karaoke, karaoke worship isn't really what it thought it was? What if there were people who were noticing what was missing in our Christian lives rather than what we think should be celebrated because after all it's present even if it is just undercooked chicken nuggets? Have we ever taken a moment and wondered if Jesus our ultimate guest at the, parties of our, at the party of our life is saying, what if you simply allowed me to organize your party? Because that, my friends, is really the heartbeat of, of discipleship. That's what it means to be a disciple. And that's what we've been talking about for so long over the last few years, this, this, this tension between, in our modern world, believers and, and, and disciples, and what we've been called to to be a disciple of Jesus. Because in our modern world of believers, a believer, when it comes to this kind of thought process, tends to think, well, they should just be happy with. I mean, they should just be happy. They should be happy that I showed up. They should be happy that, that I at least served them something. They should be happy that at least I was there. They should be happy with and then we have that same attitude or the same thought process with God and with church. Well, they should just be happy with that I showed up or happy that I got a, they should just, he should just be happy that I didn't cuss that person out for cutting me off today. He should just, that is the anthem of our generation. The world should just be happy with whatever I choose to serve them. But discipleship is not that. Discipleship is about allowing him to fully organize the party of our life. Even if that means he unplugs the karaoke machine and calls us to push in to worship. Even if that means he rearranges the seating ar arrangements of our friendships and our relationships. Even if he risks embarrassing us by exposing and sending back our undercooked chicken nuggets that we're offering up as if they're great. And he calls for a radical reorganization of everything we hold dear. What if? Because that actually is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 16, 24, when he said, if you want to be my disciple, not if you want to go to heaven, not if this is fire insurance for you, not if you just want to be a church member, if you want to be a disciple of mine, We've got to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. A radical reorganization of the party. In this text, we're going to see this. This is Jesus' first miracle. It's the, the wedding in Cana, right? And, and Cana's not far from his home. It's only about eight miles uh, from where he grows up in Nazareth. And that means he knows a lot of people, and a lot of people probably know him. You've got to think little towns out in the Midwest somewhere, right? Where they're just kind of, where everybody knows everybody's business, and, and you're related to people some way, one way or the other. It's just kind of really enmeshed. That's what was going on here. And so he goes to this wedding party, and what happens? They run out of wine. That is a huge deal. 
Now for us, you may be going, well, it's not such a big deal. For them, it was a gigantic deal for many reasons. And we know the story that Jesus turns the water into wine, which for some of us is like his top miracle, right? There are some people, that's Jesus' best miracle, man, best miracle. I've got, that, I've got that thing. I'm believing for Jesus to do what he used to do, turn this water bottle into wine. Hallelujah. Right, we got, oh, some of you are too holy. <laughs> but what if? Have you ever asked the question, but what if Jesus was too busy doing better things to show up? What if Mary hadn't spoken up when she saw the lack? What if the servants were like, not my job description. I don't need to fill up those things. I mean, what if the water refused the command of Jesus to be changed into wine? Now, you and I both know the water could not refuse the command of Jesus, but we can. What would have happened? Sure, they would have still been married, right? It didn't change the fact that they were married. Yes, you and I will still go to heaven because that's taken care of at the cross of Jesus Christ. But they still would have been in lack when abundance was available. They would have had Jesus present there but not glorified through it. And I think, church, this is the reality for so many of us that Jesus can be present in our life and not glorified through our lives. See, I know, man, when I give in to insecurity and I don't share my faith with that person because I'm afraid of what they're going to think, Jesus isn't glorified. I'm, I'm going to heaven. Still married. He's just not glorified. When I, when I allow worry to speak louder than his word, he's present, not glorified. When I allow my anxiety to cause me to have anger, come on, he's present, not glorified. You and I can go through this whole life still married, him being present, but not glorified. But what if we really allowed him to organize every part of the party of our life? What if? Let's look at this together. We're going to read the whole, the whole chapter. I'm sorry, not the whole chapter, the whole section. That would be a long chapter. Uh, I'm going to ask you to underline a couple things because it's important. It says, on the third day, I would underline third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, Mary. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to Jesus, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. I'm going to stop there just for a moment because when he says woman, it is not a word of disrespect. The Greek word is actually a word of respect. He's saying madam, mi like I got you, like madam, miss. It's a sign of respect. It's, what, it's the same word he uses when he says to her, hey, uh, woman, this is your son. When he, at the cross, puts her into the hand, uh, it's not disrespectful. It's actually showing respect. He recognizes it. But don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this because this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry and we can't miss it. Uh, uh, the, the truth is that the first Adam fell when in response to a woman by doing it his own way in order to honor himself. The second Adam here responds to a woman with a life that will break the curse because his life is set to glorify the Godhead. His mother said to his servants, whatever he says to do, do it. Underline that, highlight that, circle that, put stars around it. 
Now, there were six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews. Remember, you'd come into the house, you'd have to clean your hands, clean your face, clean your feet. We see this all throughout the Bible, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. There's six of them. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them to the brim. Underline that, they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, draw out some now and take it to the master of the feast. And when they took it, the master of the feast tasted the wine, and he didn't know where it had come from, even though the servants knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom whose responsibility it was and he said to him every man at the beginning sets out the good wine and and when the guests are well drunk then the inferior but you've kept the good wine till now you've turned this upside down this is the beginning of the signs of Jesus that he did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples (laughs) believed in him there was a moment because Jesus responded that caused manifest glory to happen. By the way, if you fill six 30-gallon jugs up, you got 180 gallons of wine. That's a party. That's a party. But I want you to notice something before we dive even deeper into this because I want, to, I want you to be encouraged in this season of life and in the season that, we're, that, that you may be heading into, that the world might be heading into because this should build our faith as we move forward. This is a third-day miracle. There's a reason why he says it happened on the third day. This is a third day miracle. What's amazing to me is that Jesus starts his public ministry the same way he's going to finish his public ministry with a third day miracle. Why? Because this is foreshadowing of the third day. Jesus is actually giving us a bigger picture by using a smaller picture. I think Jesus tends to do that in our life. He tries to reveal himself through these tiny pictures, these tiny moments in our life so that we see the bigger picture of who he is. Sometimes we're, we're, we can't see the forest for all the trees because we're not thanking him for the little things he's doing and we, so we can't believe him to do something when we face the big things. But he's revealed in this little thing a bigger picture. This is why the truth is this is an intentional, I believe this is intentionally mentioned by John here. Third day. It's Intentionally performed by Jesus on the third day. Why? Because it's foreshadowing of what's going to happen on the third day when the miracle takes place inside the stone. When, 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 when the natural is transformed by the, into the supernatural inside of the stone. And then when it's drawn out of the stone and it is given to people, people who partake in it are changed and they actually are, are brought back in and it reestablishes the proper wedding feast because the wedding feast was broken until what came out of the stone came into people. Then what was, in, uh, what was broken now became whole again. This is a foreshadowing of the resurrection of Jesus Christ because what happened in the stone transformed formed by God, came out of the stone into your life, and what was broken and lacking and missing became whole again. Why? Why should that be encouraging? Because all of us go through these three-day processes in our life, where we have some Friday things happen, where we go through a Friday death, death of a relationship, death of a marriage, death of a dream, death of some friendships in our life. And we don't know what's going to happen. There's so much pain and so much hurt we can't see straight. Then we have a Saturday where we're worried and anxious because we don't know what's going to happen, if God's going to show up, when God's going to show up, what's going to happen in our life without this thing present. We go through the what if things could be different. 
And I want to encourage us because we just have to know that a third day celebration is coming. There's a third, our God is a God of third day miracles. That's what we have to know. That's what encourages us to be able to trust and obey on a Friday. Trust and obey on a Saturday. Make it through the Saturday night into the Sunday morning by trusting and obeying what we don't see but in who we know. He is a third day miracle God. Man, there used to be an old hymn that would say, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Seems simple, doesn't it? It is simple. It's just hard to do on a Friday and a Saturday when we lose sight of the small things because we can't find the big picture in him. That's why Solomon says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, with everything you've got. Don't try to figure it out in your mind or your emotions. In every way and in everything, trust him. And he'll set a path before you that you can follow. Trust and obey. Maybe the first question that you can wrestle with, that I wrestled with when I was going through this text, is what if, like Jesus, we actually were active in community life? I'm not talking about uh, virtual communities. I'm not talking about online communities. I'm not talking about social media communities. I'm talking about real-life communities with real people face-to-face. I mean, here he is. He, he's at this wedding. He, he's God incarnate. He, he's on mission. He, he's trying to pursue, uh, get on with his life's pur- purpose and his life's pursuit. And yet he still shows up in someone's ordinary life. Now, the truth is, I don't know if this was a family friend. I don't know if this, if, if this was a relative. The, the text doesn't tell us. Orthodox tradition tells us that this was the wedding of Simon the Zealot, who's a future uh, disciple of Jesus. I don't know any of that. What I do know is that this place, Cana, is the hometown of one of his disciples, Nathaniel, who would also be called Bartholomew. And what I don't want us to miss, which I think is essentially important, is that we have to understand that Jesus' first two miracles are done in the hometown of his disciples. The second miracle is in John 4, where he heals the nobleman's son from Capernaum. Capernaum is the hometown of Peter and John. It's also who are already disciples of Jesus. It's also the hometown of uh, Matthew, who would later become a disciple of Jesus. I wonder if, I wonder, just wonder, I wonder if, man, the, the, the seed that was planted when Jesus healed that noble man's son got inside of a tax collector named Matthew. So the next time that Jesus showed up, the next time Jesus was brought to him by someone else, not the nobleman, because you don't always have to be the final answer in someone's life. You could be the one that planted the seed that the next time Jesus showed up, Matthew said, that's the Jesus that I saw happen in this man's life, I'm going to follow that Jesus. But I think, I'm, I'm, man, I'm, I'm a firm believer that this is not an accident, that Jesus wants to do something in our hometowns as well. Have we ever thought about the fact that Jesus might want to do a miracle in our community through us? Come on, he anointed us, he empowered us, he called us, he positioned us in community. Can you believe 
possibly then that just like in Andrew's life, just like in Peter's life, just like in Nathaniel's life, he might want to roll up with a miracle in your life as well? Not for you, but through you into the community around you. I'm believing, I'm not just believing for miracles in a church service. We have limited God so much. I know, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta make sure they come to church so we can pray for them. Why? The power's in you. The same God that is in any elder that stands on the front of this platform is inside of you because you know Jesus. The truth is, Jesus is here at a covenant event. And I think John, again, is bringing our attention to Jesus' participation in a third day of covenant. That's what marriage is. Marriage isn't an agreement. Marriage isn't a deal. Marriage isn't a negotiation. Marriage is a covenant between husband and wife and God. So he shows up at this third day covenant. Three is the number of perfection. It's a perfect covenant event. That's what the New Testament is for us. You and I live in a perfect and the new testament is a new covenant it is the perfect covenant made and sealed by the perfect blood of jesus christ we are people of the new covenant that means when we roll up things should change but can i be really honest i think the reality was that jesus was there because jesus was active in people's lives because he loved people he loved people. He loved people. He didn't need the applause of people. Matter of fact, at the end of this, he doesn't even take credit for it. I don't know about you. If I turned water into wine, flipped that party on its head, I'd be like, me, I did that. He slips out the back door. He doesn't even care that the bridegroom doesn't know he did it because he's not living for the praise of people. He's living for the glory of our God. He loved people. Maybe that's the greatest challenge in our nation today. Maybe it's the greatest challenge in American church today is finding a way to actually be in community where we actually can love people. This is what living together looks like, living life together looks like. It's why when we talk about Romans 12, 15, where we rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn, that's what living life together looks like. And the tension in this text is that he is most definitely active and celebrating with people in what God was doing in their life. He recognized what God was doing. And he said, I want to celebrate with that. I want to be a part of the answer of that. I want to join in with that. Maybe that should be the example for us. However, it was not a license to do everything that people are doing. Because people are like, Jesus went to a party. I go to any party. But Jesus made 180 gallons of wine. Don't get on me. No, 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 no. We're missing the point. This is, not allow, this is not Jesus allowing culture to set his agenda, but rather Jesus recognizing what God is doing in culture, and he joins in. That's why discipleship, my friends, is not a weekly Bible study. It's a, it's a decision to be a part of what God is doing in other people's lives. 
Like, that's why we have fours and shoulder to shoulder. It's awesome. We study the word. We learn how to apply the word. But it's not there so that I can check off my box that I went to Bible study that week. It's so that I can actually understand what's going on. What is God doing in your life? What is God doing in your life? What is God? How can I be a part of what? Celebrate. Encourage. Be a part. Be a part of the answer of what God is doing. If not, we just have really cool support groups. God doesn't need Christian cheerleaders. He needs community of believers and disciples. That's why 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7 says this. The Holy Spirit gives you and I gifts of power for the common good. For the good of the common unity for the community. That's why Acts 2 says when they're all together in one accord, the Spirit fell. That's why Acts 2, 47, which we'll get to later, says that when they, when they had everything in common, God added to their number daily. What if community was not defined by our commonality of interests or our locality, but by divine purpose and a sense of humanity? They are my neighbor because they carry the image of God. Maybe the second question that I was wrestling with this week, because I struggle sometimes now in my life at 55, especially after the pandemic and especially after being hurt in church by people part of the pastor's life because you're just waiting for people to leave that's what that's what it means to be a pastor you love on people knowing they're getting ready to go it's just a matter of time so there's forces inside of me that don't want to live in life with you that want to live a life from the stage It's easier when you go. But it leaves the water water and not turned into wine. That's the exchange. I don't want a church of water. Plenty of them. What would it look like if we turned into wine? What if, like Mary, we interceded and intervened for the lack of others? I think there's something to learn here from Mary. She recognizes a need and an area of lack in her community, and she intercedes and then intervenes with Jesus. Isn't that what you and I are called to do? As men and women of God, not just to see a need, point out a need, talk about a need, post about a need, chat to our friends about a need, complain about the need, vote for someone else who will take care of the need. Isn't it our job to actually intercede and intervene for the need? 2 Timothy chapter 1, chapter 2 verse 1 says we should be interceding for all people, not just people that look like us, dress like us, speak like us, talk our language. All of us. We should be echoing what the Holy Spirit does because the Holy Spirit's an example for you and I. Romans 8, 26 says he intercedes with groanings that we can't even understand, but he calls out to the heart of God. God, do something. There's lack. Do something, God. God, I want to intercede. Help me so that I can intercede and intervene. 
She doesn't just intercede, she starts to intervene. She speaks to the servants of the house. You and I are servants of the house. That we need to learn how to speak and intercede to the servants of the house. Do you realize that the Spirit of God is a servant of his house? He serves the will of the Father on this plane so that the reality in this world can go from natural to supernatural. That's why the Bible tells us that we should be praying in the Holy Spirit on all occasions. It's part of the warfare, the weapons of our warfare that God gave us praying in the Holy Spirit it's intercession standing in the gap for somebody that how can we know if we're not living life in community with people we should be interceding as a body of Christ we as a whole as a body are people who are called to intervene and intercede welfare is not the job the job of the government it's the job of the church helping people get off of addiction is not the job of the government it's the job of the church And not some church somewhere. Us. We can't do everything, but we all can do something. That's why we have to intercede so that we can actually be convinced to intervene. That's why we have to speak to our soul. Because we have to intercede with our soul so that we can intervene from our soul. Our soul, that's why Psalm 103 says this. Bless the Lord on my soul and all that is within me. He intercedes. He says, you better get up and bless God. Because our soul is actively trying to intercede for its own perceived needs. That's why we have to speak to it. I mean, I I can't believe, I, I can't even get a drink around here. Um, I'm so thirsty. I'm just so thirsty. I mean, I think I'm probably going to die. Service is just horrible at this wedding reception. I don't even know why I'm here. These people should be embarrassed. I'm so thirsty. I'm going to die. No, man, how can that, what, that poor bridegroom, that poor bride, what must they be thinking? How must they be feeling? How broken is a day that was supposed to be joyful? They're going to go away so shattered. I didn't cause the problem, but I can be a part of the solution. This is church. This is what the church is meant for. This is what we're alive to do. Not to have just great services, but to be a service to the bride and the bridegroom who are broken. The truth is we have, we have to be in community, though, to recognize the true needs of community. That's why it's so important as a church and as a people that we're multi-ethnic and multicultural and multi-generational so that we are in various needs. When we are in community, we're not only knowing about the lack, but like Mary and the disciples, we are experiencing the lack with that community. Because the issue is when we're not in a community, our needs distort from being on the outside looking in. We go, not really my problem. Not really my issue. That's a white issue. That's a black problem. That's an Asian issue. That's the Hispanic problem over there. That's their issue. They should clean up their own issues. I'm sorry, I thought there was a human issue. I thought it's a God issue. It's not a their issue, it's an our issue. There are no their issues, not one. There are our issues. We cannot afford to see it from the outside looking in as if it's someone else's problem. 
Because when we do that, we will relinquish the opportunity to respond, to give Jesus glory, and maybe even relinquish our part in why the Rhine ran out. Do you know what's so easy in our world? I didn't order the wine. They should have ordered more. Not really my issue. They should have thought more about that before they ordered it. You done drank the wine, didn't you? You were a part of it. Well, I never enslaved anybody. You're living in a world that's still wrestling with enslavement. There's not one master in this room. But we all are still being affected by the lack of wine in people's lives. That's the natural humanity that's in us. Not my problem. I voted for this president or that president to take care of it. Thank God Jesus didn't wait for someone else to take care of the issue. We have to realize, church, that we have a DNA of isolationism inside of us. It's from the original fall. We are all isolationists. Genesis 1 told them to take what they had in the garden and go out. Give it to others. What does Eve do? She takes from the garden and gives in. She gives it into her own family, into Adam. And that's it. Just us. Not them, us. Not them, us. From the very beginning, from the very beginning of this country, if you're an American, you have a heritage of isolationism. Washington stood up and said, we, were not, we don't care about what happens to anyone else in the world. We are going to be isolationists. And that actually, that mentality kept us for over 120 years. It was still there in World War I when the entire world was on fire. Millions, hundreds of millions of people were dying. And we were saying, not our war. Not our problem. In the Holocaust, we stood by for so many years. Not our problem. How can it not be our problem? Northeast, we're great isolationists. My property, my house, my time, my job, my family. Don't get me wrong. We may have some fun with some extended family here and there, but there's no sense of community. We go to work. We go to the gym. We go to church. They are avenues, but not communities. Proverbs 18.1 says, He who isolates himself wages against all sound judgment. Seeks his own destruction in the end. Did you notice what she did? She intercedes and intervenes out of compassion. Jesus responds out of compassion, not out of obligation. He didn't have to. He wanted to, which is such an example to us. Why does Jesus respond? Because he recognized this is a place of hurt and a place of potential pain for people. It was culturally and socially such a black eye on this couple and on this family that they would have almost never, ever recovered, ever recovered. That's how bad it is. For you and I, we're like, oh, so it's not a big deal. In their culture, it was the biggest of deals. Think the worst thing that you could have exposed that your family could do and that your friends and neighbors would know about. That's what would happen. That's what was happening. 
The, 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 the law of hospitality that they broke was so powerful. Think about how it affected Lot. In Genesis 19, the Bible says that he offered up his daughters to the crowd rather than break his understanding of the law of hospitality. That's crazy. But that's what peacekeeping does. Peacekeeping causes us to exchange something sacred to God in exchange for peace with the crowd. But we're called to be peacemakers. And peacemaking motivates us to honor the king even if it jeopardizes our status with the crowd. I love this. There's this great example. Are we all right today, by the way? Because some of you look like you want to throw stones at me or something. Look, I love you. Like, I'm going through this with you. I haven't figured this out. Like, I read some of this, I'm like, I'm out. I'm 55, man. I, I got some money in the bank. I can, let's just go play golf. Right? There's got to be something easier than being a disciple of Jesus out there. There is a whole lot. But nothing more valuable. What a great story happens in 1 Kings 13. Rehoboam, who's a king of, of Israel, he thinks he's going to lose power with his people, and he's so uh, worried about losing face and what they're going to say and what they're going to do. The Bible says he created two golden calves, and he put one in Bethel. Bethel is the house of God. He made an altar, put it in Bethel. That's a different sermon for a different day, golden calves in the house of God. That's a different sermon. But I promise you, we probably have some golden calves in our house. By the way, he creates two. Let me just encourage you that deception after revelation always increases twofold. This was not the first revelation about golden calves. The first revelation about how golden calves were not the way to go was in the wilderness. But they had forgotten that. God had taught them a lesson. They forgot it. They ignored it. They went back. Now it's twofold. That's what happens in our life when God teaches us lessons and we then choose to ignore them later on. It doesn't come back one-fold, it comes back seven times, Jesus says. So he sets up this altar, and, and, and a man of God, doesn't even say a prophet, by the way, it's, it's an intentional word. A man of God comes, and he says to the king, hey, king, uh, this is what's going to happen. You need to tear down that, that, uh, that altar. The king sticks out his hand and says, arrest him. As he sticks out his hand and says, arrest him, his arm withers, becomes paralyzed and leprous. In the instant, now, the king recognizes his folly. He goes, man of God, intercede for me. Not my problem. I told you what you should have done. I mean, I, I, how many posts do I have to make about this problem? Now, do you know what he does? He intercedes. He intercedes for the man who would have just had him killed. He intercedes for his enemy. He intercedes for the man that was leading his culture away from God. He intercedes in the midst of the problem for the man that caused the problem. And in it, God did a miracle. Healed that man right back up. See, my friends, there are things meant to bless our community like this king. There are, there, there's a release of authority over our community, but it is crippled until the prophetic men and women start to intercede and intervene. There are things over your family, husbands. There are things over your, your kids, dads, that will remain crippled until we become the prophetic voice in our house. 
Jesus saw the place of hurt and the potential pain, and he stepped in. And he stepped in. What if we stopped talking about the problem and we stepped in? Let me give you this last thing because I know we're about at time. But I think if we miss this, we're going to miss the whole thing. What if, like the servants, this is why I told you to underline this. What if, like the servants, we responded out of radical obedience? Like the servants. They weren't even the disciples. They were just servants. Out of radical obedience. This is the key to what we're talking about discipleship. Mary speaks it prophetically. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Do it. John is laying this out strategically. Letting us know the first thing the disciples witness is a miraculous response to radical obedience, to radical holy restraint, not living with a, 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 a straddling the line or, or living by the margins of grace, one foot in, one foot out, but radical holiness, with radical forgiveness, with radical love, with radical selflessness, with radical concern for others, with uh, others' welfare, with radical worship for our king with our lives. What if these servants would have been like, nope, we're good, you're not my boss. That's not how we do it in our house where I came from, how I was raised. Maybe Jesus would have found another way. Or maybe the party would have gone on like before. They'd still be married, but still living in lack. Without a fresh revelation of the majesty of Jesus. Like so many in our country and so many in our families, they're living but not thriving. They have information about Jesus, but no fresh revelation of Jesus. I think the challenge for us is that they had to take, think about this, they had to take multiple trips to the well before the miracle was ready. Think how many times they had to go, because in our mind they're like, oh, they just filled up six, six jugs. Yeah, do you know how long it takes? Six 30-gallon jugs? They didn't have a hose. They didn't have a lot. They had to go to the well, get a bucket, fill it up, go back, go forth, and back and forth. It takes me what seems like forever. Liz, tell the truth. It doesn't feel like forever to fill up your water pot, right? When you're gonna, and we have a power hose. And it's like, is this thing ever gonna fill up? And they had to go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth without, listen to me, without seeing one drop of water turn to wine yet. The reality is the most difficult obedience that we will face is the obedience of the in-between times. Where it's not quite wine yet, come on somebody, but it still ain't water. Where I'm not quite holy, but I'm still not fully a mess. This is the hardest part of obedience, where we started the good work, started filling up the jars, began to have a quiet time with Jesus, made a decision to go to forge or shoulder to shoulder, but we still haven't seen the water inside of us change to wine yet. 
Yes. That's why the Bible tells us in Galatians 6, 9, do not grow weary in doing good, for in due time you will reap a harvest. You will reap a harvest. You will get past the Friday. You will get through the Saturday. There will be a third day miracle that you will, if you do not give up. What's he? What, what's that saying? In other words, sooner or later, keep at it. The water will turn to wine. But I was so encouraged by the, the radical obedience of these people, of these servants. The Bible says they filled it to the brim. Not halfway, not just enough, not until their arms got tired, their backs got sore, or their hands were blistered. They left no room for anything else except the obedience to the word. They didn't leave room for logic or emotions or pain threshold or cultural acceptability or the opinions of others, or their flesh, or their souls, or their desires. They had radical obedience that came out of holy restraint. It didn't come without risks, and neither will ours. There's a risk to what I'm saying, a big one. They had to take a risk. They took a risk when they took they scooped what they filled in with water and they took that to the master of the house as if it was wine. They didn't taste it. They didn't know what it was yet. They didn't know how good it was. They had no idea what he was going to do when he took what they brought. You have no idea how people will respond when you take what Jesus gives you to bring to them. They literally risked their lives. They could have been killed on the spot. They risked the beating. They risked the displeasure of the one they served and the ridicule of the crowd that they were in. But my friends, faith only exists in the environment and atmosphere of, uh, I'm sorry, faith only exists in the atmosphere of risk. So Peter stepped out of the boat under the stormy sea. So they rolled back the stone even though Lazarus was dead for four days. The chronically ill woman crawled through the crowd to touch the hem of his garment to be set free. It's why Jesus says, speak to the mountain before it moves, and it shall move. There is a risk to this thing called faith. But he doesn't leave us unempowered. He, it's not a foolish risk. It's a faith risk. Foolish risks are putting your money in crypto. How does it work? I don't know. Who's backing it? I don't know. How's it going to last? I don't know, but it's a great thing. No, 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 I'm not talking to the foolish. Jesus' word says it. That settles it. That Greek word there that says draw out is a Greek word that means to draw out from a well. It's the same command Jesus is giving us when he says, I'm putting inside of you a well of the Holy Spirit. You need to draw out of it and take it to the one who's in lack. You've got to risk taking the, the fruit of peace to people, the fruit of patience to people, the fruit of grace to people, the fruit of kindness to people, because they may not be kind back. They may not respond to your goodness. They may not accept your grace, but we have to take the risk of taking what God has do, put inside our stone vessel and taking it out into the master's house. 
We need to take the risk of drawing out the gifts of the Holy Spirit that he places inside of us with authority and power, the gifts of tongues and the gifts of prophecy and generosity and hospitality and miracles and healing. Why? Because James chapter 1, says, don't deceive yourselves and be hearers of this stuff. Do what it says. Radical obedience. Jesus says, look, in John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, not my rules. Not my church culture, not my American Christianity. What I have done, you will do. Love somebody. Come on. What would our families, our kiddos, our marketplace, what would our church look like if we became people of radical obedience to his word? I don't know, but I'd sure like to find out. The truth is the men who saw these things were changed by the one who did these things. And they turned the greatest empire the world had ever seen on its head. That's why Acts chapter 2 verse 47 says, And then God added to their number daily those who were being changed. Here's the scenario. There were six purification vessels that were empty. Unable to fulfill fill themselves not able to meet the need inside of themselves or provide for others. Six is the number of man. It's the state of humanity. It's the best that we can do on ourselves, in and of ourselves, which is nothing. And they would have stayed that way until the seventh man showed up. And when the seventh man showed up, he filled them with something, a new wine that turned the ordinary into extraordinary. And miracles started to happen. Pain was abandoned. And God began to be glorified at that wedding. Something that could have went one way, turned around, became something else. I think the trap is when we talk about what if in our minds, when we talk about the what if, it's always the negative. What if I you know, would have done something differently? Or what if I hadn't married that person? Or, or what if I hadn't said this? and I would have said that. And it's always negative. It's the trap of the past, the things that you and I can't change. But we can change the what-ifs of our future. What if? What if we respond differently? What if we see and intercede and intervene? What if we give in to radical obedience? What if we fill it to the brim and leave no room for the enemy to have a foothold? What if we love people and actually break away from this virtual community life that is going on in our world and actually see people? What if we break free from isolationism and actually learn to live in community more than just our extended family? Because what God has given us, my friends, is an opportunity in our lives to reveal him and revere him. We reveal him to others through obeying him with the what-ifs. And we reveal him with love by trusting him with the what-ifs of our future. What if, what if our love for him caused our tomorrow to be different than our today. What if? What if next week you came back with radical worship? 
And he didn't really care what the person next to you thought. What if all the hurt and pain that you've gone through in your life, which is real, what if you started to actually allow him to bring healing to it so you could bring healing to others? What if we didn't just recognize a problem, but we intervened for it? What if church was more than an hour and 20 minute moment a week and discipleship was more than a Bible study? What if living for Jesus actually meant loving people, doing whatever it took to change the water into wine, risking our reputation for his glory? What if our love for him today would cause us to respond differently to him tomorrow? What if? I don't know about you, but I'm sure, I know as I went through this, I told Danielle, there are just some things in me that need to surrender more. And I know that's hard to hear probably from your pastor, and it's probably hard to hear after being saved for 30 some odd years, 34 years. There'll be things I have to surrender to the day that I take my last breath. The issue is not whether or not we have to surrender. The issue is are we willing to recognize that there's some wine, there's some water in us that need to be changed into wine. There's still some space that we've only filled up those things halfway or just enough or I mean I did more than I thought I should. But there's still some space for the enemy to get a foothold in. None of that is a problem. The problem wasn't that they ran out of wine. The problem would have been if the master was there and they didn't go to him to fix the problem. It is your party. But you're not your own. Our greatest failure as a church is when we read that story, we identify as one of the guests at the party rather than the servants who serve the master of the house. I'm not my own, I was bought at a price. Out of the goodness of my God and the grace of my king, I can refuse his command. But out of love for him, I'm gonna choose radical obedience radical holiness will I go to hell if I do XYZ no because that's settled at the cross the question is not will I go to hell the question is how can I embarrass hell and glorify Jesus we've got it all wrong let's pray we're just gonna take some moment John can you just play for a couple minutes just just for a moment we're gonna go in a second I was gonna have Jake sing that song again, but you've let me have more time today and I appreciate it. I believe that this is a in-season word for us as a church. 
there's some season of radical obedience ahead. The world's headed into labor pains where the wine's going to run out. Hope is going to be vacant. Fear is going to run rampant. We don't need people who join in with the fray. We need men and women who will stand up in the midst of the fray for Jesus. Take a moment. Repent. Call out for help. Ask Jesus to bring change into your life right here, right now. Turn the water into wine in me, Jesus. Turn the lack into abundance. Break the fear that keeps me from taking risks. Help me not to be satisfied with the, well, I showed up. Not my problem. you to pray this prayer with me. Easy prayer. Simple prayer. Short prayer. But if you mean it, it may be one of the greatest freeing prayers that you ever pray. Jesus, I am all in. I surrender all. Forgive me for doing it my own way. Only going halfway. Allowing my worry to speak louder than your word. Today I choose to live a life of radical risk for your glory. My flesh is weak, but my spirit is willing. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Fill me with living wine. I choose today to live for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And I encourage you as you go home from here today. Hey, if you're unforged, we're going to talk about it this week. If you're in shoulder to shoulder, we're going to talk about it this week. Can I really encourage you? Don't clean up the answer. Ain't no one looking for a five-star Christian. We're just looking for an honest disciple. wrestle with this.
I got my own wrestling to do. You wrestle with your own selves. Can you guys stand with me real quick? Pastor D is going to come in just a second and encourage you and pray over you. I want to encourage you, church. Part of radical obedience, part of living life in community is recognizing that there are needs in community that take real resource. And I know there's all sorts of worries and concerns out there about church and money and all those things, and I get it, I really do. We try as best as we can to honor your giving with everything we have because we know it's not ours, it's his. But the flood that we had last week takes money to clean up. And many of you didn't notice it even when you came in because it was cleaned up. To do what I talked about today, feeding people, which we do through TKC all the time, takes real money. Like, I can't feed, like, I can't pay Stephanie or Melissa, our chef, with hot dogs that were donated, right, from, it takes real money. There's a risk in loving people. And we're about loving people in a real way. I refuse to be a church that sees a need and not respond to it. I invite you to be a part of that. There's a thousand ways you can give. The slide will be on the screen. If you want to give with these envelopes, you can always put them in those gold kiosks on the way out of the door. You can give online, all that stuff. But church, this is us being us together. Thank you for letting me encourage you today. I hope it was encouragement. Um, you know, we talked about the flood, and that was two weeks ago. And what Kyle was referring to was is that we had another one this week. So do you remember last Sunday, I stood up here and I said, so you know, church, this has nothing to do with offerings, but just, just a growth moment, uh, that we understand now what needs to be done, but sometimes there's space between what you know needs to be done and having the ability for, to, for it to be done. And getting people out to do it. Yes. And so, but there's that gap that exists in all of us. Like today, oh, I'm starting to get it. And then you know, like, it's going to rain this afternoon. And this is one of those things where I want you to understand that we carry you in our hearts every day, even when you don't see us or know that it's happening. And so when the storms came, we knew there was a problem because all of our, the cameras went out. And that was because the power went out around here. And then we had Pastor John and Pastor Kevin were here, and it was worse than the flood two weeks ago. So we got in the car, just bewildered, as you are when you're going through two <laughs> floods in two weeks. And we could not get here. So we were only able to get as far as Haddonfield. And we were driving, and these are streets we've known forever, and yeah. we could not get out of the neighborhoods because there was trees and trees and trees and trees and wires and wires and wires and trees and trees. And we were, I mean, this was a couple of hours, yeah. and we, were ju we, we just couldn't get here. And all I kept thinking about is what I said to you on Sunday. <laughs> I was like, oh! <laughs> right? Now, 
I want you to imagine being in the car with Kay, not being able to get to the church when something's wrong. <laughs> what are you trying to say? He was beside himself. <laughs> look, look, you dress like me today. What? I'm and saying. I know. I was like, look at us today. <laughs> oh, look. Didn't catch it till we were in the car. <laughs> um, and so we're just, we could not get to the church. So after a couple of hours yeah. trying to get here, <laughs> we had forever. to then try to figure out How if we could home. go home. The most helpless feeling in the world. And I just kept thinking of you. And the car was silent. And I just, I've got the joy, 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 joy. <laughs> yeah. You went old school. in my heart. Where? It's like, Where? <laughs> down, down in my, my heart. heart where down in my, my heart, heart i've got, got the joy 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 down in my heart where down in my heart to stay this is us in the car and if, if the, the devil, devil doesn't, doesn't like it, it he, he can, can sit, sit on attack ouch sit on attack ouch sit on attack and if the devil doesn't like it he can sit on attack ouch and then and when it was just like and i said what other old school joy songs do we have? I am a C. I, I am a C H. I am a C H I S T I A N. I mean, what's the one we were doing? Deep and wide, and it's like deep and mm -hmm. wide. I mean, mm -hmm. anything we could pull out. <laughs> it was old school right VBS. Right like, aboard Jesus. Jesus toolbox. Yeah. I was like, this is this is how we combat. Yeah. Not just like stand in faith, but combat the enemy. The yeah. last thing he wanted happening in that car was hearing about the joy of the Lord. Yeah. So when I tell you that we are walking this with you, we are somewhere probably in a car during a crisis singing, and if the devil doesn't <laughs> like it. <laughs> on attack. Right? So this week, if you have one of your own situations and you're thinking back on this word, yeah. I've got the joy, 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 joy. Yeah, down in my It's amazing the space that it made in us. Yes. We were, di we were different people when we went back to our house than when we left our house. Yeah. God, I thank you for people who let yes. the truth ring loud and clear that we have a people, Father, that mm. allow it to echo inside of them. God, I thank you that you just bring the word down and you establish it in the middle, whether it be flood, whether it be sun. I thank you, God, that you never let your truth be held back by our human condition. And God, I pray that you would give us wings to fly above yes. certain situations, God, even if our feet get wet, that we would learn to rise and that we would grab each other as we do and help others take flight in radical obedience. In your name, amen. 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 Have a beautiful week. This God week bless you, church. church. Love we you. love you. Oh.